Amen. Again, welcome to Bayou City and uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, as Robbie mentioned, uh, it is incredibly hard to, to be a mom, and, uh, and so we want to honor you um, and hope you feel honored. And I thought because it was Mother's Day, it would be a great opportunity to talk about uh, parenting. Uh, now, a couple of things. Number one, I know not everybody in here is a parent. And uh, if you're not, if you're single or you're married and you don't have kids yet, I, I just want to honor you because the scripture honors you that in your season of life you can serve the church at an accelerated pace in a way that a family with kids just just can't and Amanda and I experienced that when we were young and newlywed um, we were uh, youth leaders at our church and we were with those teenagers on Sunday morning on Sunday night and on Wednesday night we were there anytime the church gathered anytime those teenagers gathered we were there Uh, fast forward all these years now really we have to take turns to do ministry you know, when it's her turn, I stay with our kids and she goes and ministers. And when it's my turn, vice versa, Sunday morning is really the only time that we get to do ministry together anymore. Uh, so if you're married without kids, this is a really special time in a way that you can serve uh, the church, not just this church, but Christians and people all around the world. Uh, and then if you're single, uh, be especially affirmed because the Apostle Paul, he encouraged people to be single if they could help it for that very reason, because they can serve the church in a unique way. And so I just want to thank you if you are married without kids or you are one of our single adults here at Bayou City. This church would not be the same without you. And, uh, and so I just thank God for you and the way that you serve us and uh, the way that you serve people in Houston and around the world. I also want to point out that even though we're talking about parenting, uh, I'm not an expert. I think you know that I'm not an expert at anything really, but I'm especially not an expert in parenting. You know, um, We have a middle school son, Jackson is 12, and um, he uh, he came home from middle school with this new phrase, get wrecked, uh, which is, uh, I think if somebody does a you know verbal jab at somebody, you would say like, oh, get wrecked. I don't totally know what it means, but that's context clues. Uh, two days ago, our two-year-old Willow came over to me. I was just standing at the sink and she said, daddy, get wrecked. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the level of parenting that I'm doing at this particular moment. So, there's, I'm not claiming any expertise but I thankfully, uh, I know that the scripture uh, helps us. And, and here's what I know about every parent in here is that you are busy. That's our motto of our life. You know, we're busy. And parents especially are busy. But are we busy doing the things as parents that God would have us to do? That's, that's the question we need to wrestle with. Proverbs chapter 22. If you brought a Bible with you, I'd love for you to look at that with me this morning. Verse 6, this may not be a familiar reference, but when we read this verse, you're going to probably recognize it, even if you don't have a lot of church background. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now this Versus everything that a parent wants to hear on the surface because it feels like a formula. If I train my children, they will receive the faith and keep the faith. That's what it looks like. It's a, it's a promise. It's a, it's a roadmap. I do this and God promises to do that. But you can imagine the, the painful side of that. 
There's, there's rarely anything more tragic than sitting across a table from a set of parents whose children, who at that moment in that season are not following Christ. They have departed from the faith. They've chosen a different way. They've rebelled against God or they've drifted away for some reason. And they quote this verse with pain in their eyes because they thought it was a formula. If I did my part, then they won't walk away from this. They'll receive it and they'll keep the faith. So clearly, I didn't do my part. You can imagine how heartbreaking that is to a parent. And it's true, and we need to be honest with ourselves. We can mess our kids up. There's no one more influential than you in their life, and you can mess them up. Our daughter, Willa, again, who's two, has discovered the movie Frozen. So she just thinks it's the only movie that's on TV, and so she just asks to watch it over and over and over and over again. I've probably seen it 150 times the last two weeks. That's not a preacher exaggeration. I literally am keeping count. That's how many times I've seen this movie. If you've seen it before, you know that there's lots of trouble inside the movie. And what I didn't learn on the first few times that I watched it, but have now learned on the hundredth time that I watched it, is that... If the father had been a better father, the movie would not have needed to exist. There would not have been very few problems in these young women's life. But the father is actually a terrible father. Go and watch it when you get home and you will agree with me that he is. Just affirming what we find in the Ten Commandments. Nestled inside the Ten Commandments is this little section on being parents. And it says that if you are an unrighteous parent, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and your great-great-grandkids will experience the pain of your unrighteousness. But if you are a righteous, Jesus-following parent, thousands of people will be blessed. So it is true. We can mess up our kids. You have a lot of influence in their lives. But it's important to know that Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is a proverb, not a promise, not a formula. It's, it's not an equation. The reason we know that is because there were righteous kings in Israel. We read about them in scripture who had unrighteous sons. So it's not A plus B equals C. The truth is, as a parent, you only control one part of this verse. The first part. Your kids who have decision making abilities of their own will decide the second part. So we're going to spend our time talking about the things that we can control. But before we do, turn your attention to that second part. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, old reminds us that parenting is a long-term investment. This is a whole life kind of thing. If you have adult children, uh, your adult children still need you just like they did when they were younger. You never outgrow your need for your parents. A couple of weeks ago, my brakes were not functioning correctly. I mean, they were functioning, but I could hear noise and smell things, you know, when I put the brakes on. And so I pulled into a mechanic shop around the corner from my house and they took my car back into the garage and to do an inspection and see what was going on, diagnose all the problems. They, they came and got me and they said, we want you to see this for yourself, which means that it's going to be expensive. They want you to actually see why they're charging you as much as they're getting ready to charge you. So we walk back into the mechanics bay and they show me all the things that are going wrong. Long story short, $1,000 is what they needed to fix this problem. And I said to him, listen, I'm not doubting that that's all on the up and up, but I didn't pull in here to spend a thousand dollars. So I'm not like mentally prepared to do that. So I need you to put it all back together. And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, listen, my life is probably not worth a thousand dollars. So just, you know, just put it back on. I need to think about it a little bit. Then they did and probably called the police after they were done. 
I get back in my truck. The first thing that I do is I call my dad. Because he's an expert at these kinds of things. I walk him through the problem. And we decide together that that's something that I should probably be able to fix by myself. And, and so I did. And I'm still alive. And by all means, everyone else is still in, in, alive as far as I can tell. You know. But I still needed my dad to train me. Your children never outgrow their need for you. And in fact, I'm 37 years old. I'm guessing, as painful as this is to say out loud, I'm guessing that life's hardest things are still in my future and not in my past. It may be the same for your children. I mean, children, adult children, need their parents to train them how to get married, how to stay married how to have kids, how to raise those kids, how to send those kids off, how to have a marriage once there's an empty nest, how, how to get bad news at the doctor, how to cope with that bad news, how to keep the faith even in the midst of that bad news, how to bury a parent. Your children will always need you. And this verse says that even when they're old and you're gone, your care and love and training will still be bearing fruit. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Now notice that training is different. Training up is different than beating up. If, if you ask people, especially people who are a little bit older, about what they think these younger generations need. Discipline is like the number one thing that they'll say. They need more discipline. And, you know, they're not totally wrong. You read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about parenting. and it has a lot to say about discipline. I mean, it has some of the things that, you know, it says about there. You're like, oh, I don't think you can say that out loud now, you know. And so discipline is a need. But when the Bible talks about discipline, it assumes a context of unconditional love. Because when you have a lot of discipline in an environment where there's not unconditional love, it's only a short-term win. And the truth is, is that you can get your kids to do what you want them to do for as long as you are more powerful than them. As long as you are physically stronger than them or emotionally stronger than them or can overpower them by the force of your will, you can get your kids to do what you want them to do. But this passage makes it clear that that's not the goal. The goal is to train them up to go in the way that they should go. They're eventually going to go and they need to have learned things from you. I had an accounting class in college and when the teacher would lecture about accounting, I totally got it. It made a lot of sense to me. I understood what she was saying. When I actually went to work the problems out myself on a piece of paper, way off. I had the knowledge, but I didn't actually learn accounting because I wasn't able to do it on my own. That's what learning is. When you learn how to drive, you know you've learned when you can drive on your own and you don't need your parents in there with you. Right? Learning is being able to do it myself. So when it says training up, it's different than beating up. It's different than forcing. It's helping them be able to do it on their own. Helping them honor God on their own. Train up a child in the way that he should go. This word train is used four times in the Old Testament. Remember, the Bible was not written in English. Uh, the Old Testament was mostly written in Hebrew. So if you're reading the original Hebrew version, and it starts with train, uh, that word is used four times. 
The other three times it's used in the Bible, it's not translated train, it's translated dedicate. I'll show you an example. In 1 Kings chapter 8, it says in verse 63, Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. So that word dedicate, the word train in Proverbs 22, same word. The idea is that training isn't just about practice and exercises. It's about being dedicated. And that dedication first starts with the dedication, not of the child, but of the parent. When an Olympic athlete goes to the Olympics, two people were dedicated. The player was dedicated and the coach was dedicated. For your children to receive the faith and keep the faith, it starts with your dedication to God. Last Sunday, we were at church, and in the middle of worship, I lifted up my hands. You know, we read in the Bible, that's an appropriate posture for worship. I lifted up my hands. My kids were sitting next to me, uh, our big kids, Jackson, 12, and Annabeth is 9. And as soon as I lifted them up, having a genuine moment of, with God, I was believing the words that I was saying. I wondered to myself, do they believe me? And they're watching me lift my hands up in church. Do they believe this? Does that seem real to them? Does that seem like something that their dad would do? Does that seem authentic? Not based on how I felt at the moment, but how I treated them that week, how I responded that week, how they have historically known me to be. Do do they believe this gesture of lifting up my hands? Because that's the thing. Your kids have to believe that you believe before they will believe. They have to believe that this is real for you before they'll make it real for them. And that's different than being perfect. I mean, I don't think that the scripture will ever ask you as a parent to be perfect. That's impossible. But I think it does ask us to be believable. And to do that, we need dedication. But we need deep dedication, not shallow dedication, not surface dedication. Okay. You, you may have noticed, I mean, you're probably not paying attention, but I'm using a different Bible this week than, than I've used. I, I kind of change Bibles every six months. I don't know why. I think I'm broken on the inside, but um, I just like to do it. I'll either go and buy a new one or I'll pull an old one off the shelf. And so uh, this week I pulled this one off the shelf because the one I had been using was a little bit smaller. And last week I was preaching at another campus and, and because I'm getting older, I guess, I couldn't read the words that I was actually, you know, there. So I thought I needed a little bit bigger one. And as I pulled it off the shelf, I was grieving a little bit inside because, you know, if you had a, a loved one who's passed away who has believed in Christ. One of the cool things that maybe you have the opportunity to do is to inherit their Bible. You know, I have two of my grandfather's Bibles and they're all worn out and, you know, you could just tell he just did battle with life and with the Lord and it was just an awesome thing. And I grieved when I pulled this off to the shelf because my, my kids right now are not going to get that opportunity. They're not going to be like, hey, I really want the Bible that dad used for seven months instead of his normal five months, you know. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be special for them. This is a brand new Bible. I mean, he didn't even mark in it. Uh, because that's the thing that we're drawn to as parents. We're, we're drawn to this surface level dedication. Because that's all surface. I mean, what would be better for my kids? That they would have a, a worn out Bible to in, inherit? Or that their father would have been all the days of his life the man who actually read the scripture? And more than that, believed the scripture? And more than that, actually did what the scripture said? 
I mean, that's what really matters, not the condition of the Bible that you may or may not hand down to them. But we're drawn to these gestures. We're drawn to these surface level dedication. Like, for example, like coming to church could just be surface level dedication. If that's all that you do, if you summarized your faith by, I go to church consistently, your kids are going to see through that. If the only time that you pray is at your evening meal, it's good. You should keep doing it. But it's surface level dedication. If they see you arbitrarily deciding which commands of Jesus you'll follow and which ones you won't, which ones are really important, which ones it's okay to ignore, if they see that inconsistency, they'll know that our dedication is just surface level, but we need it to be deep. Before you get on with the exercise of training your kids, we first need to stop and be dedicated ourselves. 1 Timothy chapter 4 Verse 7 also uses the word train. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now again, The New Testament was not originally written in English. We're just holding a translation of Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. And if you were reading that copy and you got to the word train, uh, it would be this word that I brought with me so you could see gymnazo. And and you can see a word in there that you're familiar with, gymnasium. Because that's what it means to train. It's like going to the gym. And when you go to the gym, you go consistently and you work hard while you're there. I mean, that's not how I go to the gym. I just do a lap around all of the exercise equipment just to make sure it's working. I don't actually use it myself. And you spend about 10 minutes there to get your money's worth and then you get back into your car. I mean, that's the way that I work out, but maybe you go and you actually are trying to accomplish your goals and you go and sweat and you put in effort and you work hard. That's what it means to train. So when we're training our kids, we're working hard. And if you're a parent, I don't need to tell you that it's, it, it's hard work. But it, it needs dedication to do that hard work over and over and over and over again, even though they're not listening, even though they're not getting it, even though you're going to repeat it 17 times, even though it's day after day after day, you keep working hard. You're dedicated to work hard. And we work hard about the right things. I've found myself in my parenting, this may not be true for you, but it's been true for me, lazy in the right things and hyper intense about the wrong things. Lackadaisical in the things that last forever in the lives of my children, but vigilant in the things that just will matter for a few seasons of their life. Like I was talking to a family at our, at our church last week and their son is playing uh, baseball, t-ball. He's like in kindergarten. And they were saying that some of his teammates already have private batting coaches, right? which I'm not against a uh, private batting coach, you know, you know do it. Uh, but I, I doubt the conversation was the five-year-old coming to the parents and saying, you know what, mom and dad, I'm, I really need more power when I shift my hips, you know, on my swing 
And I just don't feel like I'm able to get that, you know, myself. And so I could use a second set of eyes to really just make sure I'm being a little bit more fluid. Because that's where all your power comes from, mom and dad, is the way you swing your hips through your swing. And, and so, so could you hire me a private batting coach? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, I mean, I don't know, but I doubt that that happened. Probably what happened is the next time they went to practice, that five-year-old was like, I don't want to go tonight. And at practice, that set of parents heard that another set of parents had already gotten their kid a private batting coach. And now it's just spreading because you think about how much time, money, and energy we waste, not meeting the expectations of our kids, but the expectations of other parents. Because we're dedicated and we're working hard at the wrong things. Working hard to please other people. We're working hard to be like other people. One of the, a parent's worst nightmares is that other parents would give their kids things that our kids needed, but we didn't give them. So we freak out anytime we feel like another set of parents is ahead of us. Or they're on a different path. Or they're doing things that we've not thought of. So most of what parenting is in 2018 is just reading about other parents on the internet and then emulating that. And no one really stops to say, does this matter? Is this what God would have me do? Is this what my kid even wants to do? And by all means, give to your kids and help your kids enjoy life and have joy and do the things that they want to do and get better at the things that they're passionate about. I think that honors God but let's make sure that we're actually parenting our kids and not just competing with other parents because parenting isn't about the parents, it's about the kids. Think about how much better of a parent I would be if I spent more time trying to meet the expectations of my kids than the expectations of other people. Training means being dedicated to hard work, like going to the gym but we need to be dedicated to doing the right work. We need to remember, and this is especially true if you're a young parent, that parenting is not a race. There's no such thing as the most athletic four-year-old. It doesn't exist. They don't give out Pulitzers to third graders. And no middle schooler gets early admission to Oxford. It's not a race. It's a lifetime of investment. Train up a child in the way that he should go. There is a going in parenting. Parenting is ascending, it's not a keeping. I think this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 10. He says this in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Isn't that an awful verse to read on Mother's Day? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Train up a child in the way that he or she should go. It's a going, it's ascending. Parenting is not a keeping. And contrary to popular belief, we are not raising up our children to send them out into the world. We are raising up our children to send them out to follow Jesus. So we want to be busy doing those things. And it starts with being dedicated ourselves. 
starts with being dedicated to the hard work that it will take over a lifetime. Train up a child in the way that he or she will go. So Jesus, we ask for your help because parenting is hard. We pray that we would not grow weary while doing good. We pray that the seeds that we've planted in our children would bear much fruit. And we do pray that our children would not depart, not from the way that we've taught them, but they would not depart from picking up their cross and following you. That's our goal. And that's a miracle. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand? I'm going to ask our prayer folks to come and take their places around the stage and around the side. So I want to invite you to pray. If you're a guest with us, we finish all of our gatherings here at Bayou City by praying for one another. We do that because we love one another. We pray for each other because Jesus said God's house is a house of prayer and we take that seriously. And we pray for one another because we've seen God do miracles in our lives. And we'd like to see him do miracles today. So I want to invite you to pray about whatever's going on in your life. If you feel like you're carrying a burden for something today, God puts that burden there to push you towards prayer. Maybe it's your health, maybe it's your job, maybe it's something else. So come and pray about that. I do want to invite you to come and pray today if you're a parent. You would say, you know what? I feel scattered. I feel busy, but I'm not sure I'm doing the right things. And I want to focus on the things that will last forever in my parenting. So come and pray for yourself as a parent that God would give you what you need and make you the person that he wants you to be. Come and pray for your kids today. Come and pray that they would pick up their cross and they would follow Jesus. I especially want to invite you to pray today if Mother's Day is unusually hard. We take it for granted that while we're celebrating, other people are hurting, and Mother's Day can be like that. Maybe you're estranged from your mom, and that's all you've been thinking about today is that severed relationship. Maybe your mom has already passed on, and you're remembering her and honoring her today, but you're also mourning that. That's real. Maybe you'd like to be a mom, and, and you're not a mom yet for whatever reason, and that's painful today. I want to invite you to come and pray. And I especially want to invite you to step over into this far corner, to my right and to your left. I want to invite you to pray over there because uh, there are uh, women over there who want to pray for you who have also experienced difficult Mother's Days, who who know what that pain feels like. And I think have an unusual empathy to pray for those who are hurting today. See, that's the thing about God is he sees right through our happy facade, right to what we need. And so if you've put on a brave face today, that's great. But don't let it stop there. Let God build you up and encourage you, even on a hard day. So Jesus, we pray together. and We all need miracles. We all need something more than we're able to do. So would you do those for us? Amen. Amen. So let's sing together. And as God stirs your heart for prayer, big or small, for yourself or for somebody else, you come and pray.